Hello and welcome to Yumi and the Economy. If you want to measure a nation's prosperity, where do you look? The GDP, balance of payment, or should you also count the graves? A new data on suicides in India presents some disturbing facts. Meanwhile, the first quarter results of the GDP growth are out. It's an impressive performance, but the devil lies in the details. In yet another incident, Sri Lanka gets its first breather as the IMF grants a new loan. My name is Kavita Kabir and here is a weekly roundup of economy and finance. PM Modi's Amrit Kaal has literally sounded the death knell for India's working poor, while its billionaires set new records in wealth accumulation. Marking a steady increase since 2014, the share of daily wagers among those who die by suicides in the country has crossed the quarter mark for the first time. This came out in the latest report of the National Crime Records Bureau. This means one in four of the recorded 1,64,033 suicide victims during 2021 was a daily wage earner. The report Accidental Deaths and Suicides in India shows that daily wage earners remain the largest profession-wise group among suicide victims in 2021. They accounted for over 42,000 suicides, forming 25% of the total. In addition to daily wage earners, the category of housewives and students too registered an increase in suicides. The suicide figure come in context of the Modi government presiding over one of the worst phases of inequality in Indian history. The figures raise question on the efficiency of welfare schemes of the government and stress on the urgent need for job creation. Economic data can be presented in any way depending on whether the government wants to fool the people or present the reality. It can be celebratory or alarmist. Case in point is the quarter one GDP figures for the present financial year. As per the latest government data, India's economy grew by 13.5% in this period, which is the fastest in the last four quarters. That would be celebratory, it is at least factually true, but not really conveying the whole truth. Because it is also true that this was below the expectation of above 16%. That too with the low base effect of the equivalent period in the previous year when the economy was under severe stress due to the pandemic. With the rising interest rates, high inflation, the looming global recession and the uneven monsoon, there are grave concerns regarding the health of the economy. But such truths can be glossed over by selectively presenting data in a manner that suits the government, while there remains a cause for grave concern. The latest news from Sri Lanka is that the International Monetary Fund has agreed to give it another loan of $2.9 billion. Sri Lanka witnessed massive protests earlier this year, forcing its president Kotabaya Rajapaksha to resign. The current president, Ranil Vikram Singh, who is also serving as the finance minister, recently presented an interim budget to boost revenue and fight inflation. Will the IMF loan really help Sri Lanka? As per the Reuters report, funds will be dispersed over four years to help stabilize the economy and boost growth. The package will help raise government revenue to support fiscal consolidation, introduce new pricing for fuel and electricity, and hike social spending. All in all, it gives the island nation confidence that more help in the form of investments will arrive. The word of caution here is that this loan comes with standard IMF preconditions. 
and the agreement will go ahead only if Sri Lankan authorities carry out the previously agreed measures. Currently, the country is in dire situation with the total debt of $51 billion, of which $28 billion has to be repaid by 2028. As per the IMF, Sri Lanka's economy is going to shrink by 8.7% in 2022, while it will see inflation go above 60%. At this moment, we also remember Professor Abhijit Sain, renowned economist on Indian agriculture, who passed away on August 29 due to a sudden heart attack. Primarily a teacher, he was also involved in policy making in various roles for more than a decade. As a member of the Planning Commission from 2004 to 2014, the 14th Finance Commission and Chairperson of the Commission for Agricultural Cost and Price. He argued for remunerative prices to farmers along with universalizing the public distribution system, a belief he held and argued for during the debates on the National Food Security Act 2013. As a member of the Planning Commission, he argued for expanding the coverage of the PDS under the NFSA to make it near universal. For him, the role of public policy was not just to achieve growth, but also to improve the lives of the poor. The belief came not just from his analysis of poverty trends in India, a subject that he deeply engaged with, but also from his profound engagement with policy and the role of the state. Sain's contribution to the measurement of poverty and underlying data on consumption, expenditure are recognized in India as well as globally. He is survived by his partner economist Jayati Ghosh and a daughter. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more news and analysis, go to our website www.senfa.org and keep listening to Yumi and the Economy.